Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I am excited to be speaking with Judge Josephine Finn. She is a judge in Monticello, New York, in the Sullivan County Catskills. She is a former community college professor and also a lawyer. And I want to invite all of you to join us for this virtual episode of Trailer Talk to imagine that you are in and around the Beeline Travel Trailer and that you are gathered with us around the kitchen table as Josephine Finn and I have this conversation. So welcome to Trailer Talk, Josephine. Thank you. My pleasure. You said something just before we started recording where you said it all starts at home. So let's start there. Let's start with home and what that means for you and a little bit about who you are, how you would describe yourself for our listeners and what that means to you that it all starts at home. Well, to do that, I'd have to go back to well before I was born when my grandparents came to Sullivan County, New York, specifically the village of Monticello. And they built a church and it was back in the 1930s. And I came along some years later and was raised in that church. And so that's where it all started for me. My grandfather built that church with his hands. It stands today. Uh, one of my cousins is the pastor. And uh, that's where I got my beginning. I, I, I feel that's where I got my spiritual development, my interest in service uh, to my community and um, the very uh, building blocks of who I am started right there. And what are those building blocks that you're referring to and your interest in service? Well, the major thing I have... Uh, in my mind that sticks with me my entire life is, is very simple, uh, one of the commandments. And um, that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That just stuck with me my whole life. And so I also um, had to go along with that, a desire to see the world be a better place than what I found. So it was always somehow in me, and I'm not quite sure how that got there, but it was just always in me to always want to see something more than what I found. Now, I can trace that back perhaps to my own, you know, grandparents and parents who always wanted to be helpful in the community. So I, I guess you pick up those things at home. Your community is one that you're serving as a judge at present. You have also been elected to the New York State Board of Regents. So your commitment to education and your interest in that is a long one. And also you are a former professor at Sullivan Community College, SUNY Sullivan, which is based in Sullivan County, New York. Uh, and I'm sure I'm leaving some things out, but so your ties to the community are from uh, you, as you described, being born here, also a legal one and as an advisor, as a judge, and then also as an educator. So where would you like to begin with this 
these roots of home that you're sharing with us Mm -hmm. and how that then took you to some places where you are now and how you're serving the community where you live? Well, you know, the interesting thing about all of that is when I look back on my life, I didn't seek out any of those things. I didn't seek out to be a professor. I didn't seek out the Board of Regents. I didn't seek out being a judge at first. Um, I was appointed as a judge in the 90s by the then mayor, and I served for a couple of years, I think. And and then I forgot about it. I went on with my life until I ran um, for judge. The first time I ran, I think it was in the late 90s, and uh, I actually lost that election. It was about 34 or five votes. That's what happens in a small village. (laughs) And... I went on about my business and people came back to me and said, please, you were so close. Would you run again? And I thought, I don't really want to do this. They said, no, please, we will absolutely support you. And so I ran and I won. And that was in 2002. And I'm still the judge to this day. I am in my fifth term. The only time I was ever opposed really was in my first term. And after that, I didn't even have any opposition, which is a little bit to my chagrin because I think, you know, Somebody should run. <laughs> I don't think it should just be a, you know, a given. Right. Um, but, but somehow people just wanted me to stay there. And um, even as I get ready to retire, people are asking me, please don't go. But, you know, you got to know when to say when. You really do. Yes. And so when my term is up next year, I will be stepping down. So Judge Finn, what does it mean to be a judge? That's a huge amount of responsibility and also power, and it puts you in a position of seeing and knowing things to deepen your own relationship with the place you live. So how would you describe that for us? Well, being a judge in a small town is interesting because you know everybody pretty much. And um, certainly I have a lot of people come before me that I don't know, but there are a lot of people come before me who I do know. And what I really have always tried to do is have it make no difference. That's the key. It can't make a difference that I know you or don't know you. I'm there to do justice. And so you really do have to wear blinders. Um, It gets tough sometimes, but you have to do it. And I really have learned from that to watch, to see things. A lot of times it's not what people say, it's what they don't say. (laughs) So you get to learn those things. You you get to learn that uh, meeting out justice means slightly different things at different times. It depends entirely on the circumstances. And uh, of that particular person standing before you, every single person is someone different. And even though they may have similar circumstances when they come before you, you have to see that person as an individual. So it means that to me. And has that position that you hold as a judge, has that inspired you towards actions? I'm thinking of the dream tank that you found. Oh, you've heard of the dream tank. Yes. (laughs) Well, yes, it did. The dream tank and Judge Josephine Victoria Finn collaborate with community organizations to provide outreach for youth. I'm going to be able to dream, so I know I'll succeed. I'm going to go 
shopping in Italy. I'm going to be a background singer. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to move to Puerto Rico. I'm going to donate money to the kids in Africa who have AIDS so they can get help. I'm going to travel around the world and shop in Tokyo. Tokyo. I'm going to party with famous people. I'm going to meet Neil and pay him to marry me. I'm going to come to next time model and meet my celebrity crushes like this one. I'm going to meet Barry. I'm going to be a better model of the entire world. I'm going to have a party on Mars and sell out of our I'm going to just be me no matter what no one else is saying. Get married to a famous person and kiss my um, I'm going to stay determined and focus on my goals and dreams so, so I know I'll succeed. <laughs> so I guess you're too busy to have a baby right now. Hi, this is Judge Josephine Finn. This message is brought to you by The Dream Project and Teen Link to Community. For more information on teen pregnancy and other teen-related issues, Get pregnant later. Uh, a couple of years after I was on the bench, I, I'm thinking it was probably more like three or four years after I started, um, I really began to feel uncomfortable. And it was because um, the majority of the people who I saw in the criminal justice system looked just like me. I'm African-American, except they were mostly males. I saw um, also brown males. Um, make up the majority of the people who I saw in that courtroom. And many of them were young. And getting felonies, uh, even though I don't actually hear actual felonies, they go to a superior court. I do do felony hearings. They do get arraigned in my court. And I was just seeing them coming through and many of them ending up in prison. And I thought, why am I putting people in jail on the back end when I haven't done anything to help them on the front end? And I could have easily have sat there and said, well, I'm a judge and I'm doing my duty to the community. But I live in two distinct communities. I live in the Black community and I live in the white community. And that's just um, a given uh, with people, African-American people in this country. A lot of times we live in two different communities. Uh, and so I thought I should do something. And I thought, what can I do? I went to the court and I said, I'd like to start a program. And I thought maybe I would do it through the court. And the first thing they said to me is, you know, this is a great idea, but we're gonna have to jump through this, who's that, but, you know, and they went on and I thought, you know what? I don't have the patience for this. I am not doing that. And so I went on my own. I just happened to have a conversation, called it kismet, call it what you will, mm -hmm. with a friend of mine. And I hadn't seen him in a while and he was doing very well. And I told him about my idea and he said, you know what, come see me. And when I went to see him, he gave me a check for $30,000. He said, I like your idea. Why don't you start it? That's some kismet. Can you believe that? I can based on what you're <laughs> describing and what people say about the dream tank. And that stands for dynamic realization through enrichment, actualization, and motivation. Correct. And you talk about empowering at-risk youth. So what does that look like? Who are some of these young people that you're talking about? And I'm very interested in what you just shared with us about living in two distinct communities. Okay, being, well, we can talk a, about that. Right, being a Black American. So you said that you're living in a Black community and also a white. So this is connected to you founding the dream tank. So oh, yes, absolutely. if you can talk about these distinct communities from your perspective. Well, in my family, we had a talk and I hear people talking about the black talk um, where, you know, you talk to a black male about what to do if he stopped by the police and so forth and so on, because you don't want your son to be killed. 
Well, we had a different kind of Black talk in my house. We had the Black talk when you're young and the first time that some white child calls you out of your name, you hear something that you've never heard before often. And in my case, I went home and said, why are they calling me these names? And that's when we had the talk. My parents sat us down, three children. I was the youngest, we were two years apart, my brother, my sister, and me. And my father said, uh, let me explain something to you. And both my parents came out of Louisiana. Both sides of my family are from Louisiana. And so they just began to, to kind of try to explain to us. Now you have to understand they're talking to a child who's with three children. I'm seven, my sister's maybe nine, my brother's 11. And of course, he already knows more than, than I know. And um, they're just ex kind of explaining to us, this is the world you live in. And these are things you, this, this is not going to be the only time you're going to face this. And so this is how you have to carry yourself. You have to understand that there are people in this world who think they're better than you. They are not. My parents had this whole conversation with us. They are not. However, you have to live in situations where you're not always going to be treated fairly. And they, they just gave us this whole conversation. Uh, but I understood. I understood what they were trying to tell me. And as I went through school, I saw the things they were trying to tell me. Even though it wasn't the same as the South, it still wasn't good. Mm -hmm. I knew that Black people were treated differently than white people. I knew we were treated as second-class citizens, even though I couldn't put that name to it as a child. And so when you grow up with that, you just develop certain instincts and, and, and you learn uh, that you have to really stick together. Mm -hmm. Don't forget I'm a child of the 60s. I came of age in the 60s. I came of age, I came out of high school in 1968. So you know, the country was burning. Um, people were angry. The Vietnam War was raging. People were demonstrating on campus when I got to college. And so I was active there too. Coming of age in the 60s, you mentioned the Vietnam War, the, the peace protests, the anti-war movement. Of course, the civil rights movement preceded that and continued to build. How has that influenced how you are as a judge? And also the initiative that you started with the Dream Tank to focus on at-risk youth in your community of Monticello, New York. Okay. Like, how do all of these threads come together to this well, moment of 2021? When you think about it, you know, if I, if I go back and I think about it, I, be, I became active when I was about 13 years old. I got a summer job in the Neighborhood Youth Corps and they had gotten monies to start the first community action programs. You've probably heard of community action programs. And the first one in Sullivan County started, they started with the Neighborhood Youth Corps and a couple of other small programs. And I was one of the first kids in the Neighborhood Youth Corps. And they had me actually, and I was in an office. I was working with community organizers. At 13 years old, over the summer I worked. And then they gave me some hours in the fall and winter. And, and so I, that's where I really cut my teeth. And that's where I really got a taste for how you organize the community and what you do and, and what the issues are. I was 13 years old. So by the time I got to college, I kind of had a little bit of understanding of those things. And when I got to a college and we wanted Black studies program, they didn't have one. We wanted Black professors. They didn't have one. Uh, but when I left, they did. They had a full Black studies program 
And the proof of it is I graduated with a degree in psychology and black studies. We were responsible for making that happen over those four years. And that is so important for us to remember all of the activists who are responsible for making these changes towards a more just society, towards equity, and to keep working towards that. And you are the recipient of many awards. And I want to say that you've been awarded from the NAACP for your work as a lawyer. You also received the Frederick Douglass Award, Community Volunteerism Awards from SUNY Sullivan. So everything you're sharing with us now even is represented in in just three of the awards I just mentioned, and you have received many for the work that you're doing. Based on what you're sharing with us about your advocacy work and coming of age during the 60s and being involved with those social justice movements, what would you say your priorities are at this moment? This moment, my priority is to raise up a nation of warriors. And I call them warriors, but I'm talking about leaders. I want young men and women to rise up in this nation and to take control of their destiny. And I know a little bit about leadership. And I want to impart that to these young people. So what I've done in the pandemic, it just so happens that my major source of funds was from Sullivan County over many years. They've they've really contributed to us keeping the program open. But when the pandemic happened, they defunded us. And I, at that moment, felt anger. I was angry. I say it always happens to the ones who can at least afford to have them happen to it. Always the first to go. But then I very, very quickly collected myself. And I said, you know, you're always preaching to people that there are two sides to the universe. There's always pairs up and down, in and out. And whenever there's a negative, there's always a positive. So what's the positive in this? And it hit me. You need to teach these young people to fight for themselves. I always, my whole life have fought for others. Even when I was a child, I would fight for other kids. If you were picking on someone who wouldn't fight for themselves, I had to stick my two cents in because I thought that the odds were unfair. I had an innate sense of fairness my entire life. I guess I was destined to be a judge. I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I just felt like, wow, you know what? This is not a time for you to fight for them. This is a time for you to teach them to fight for themselves. So what I've been working on since last year when I found out we were defunded until now is I've really been working on um, trying to build what I have named Solemn Leadership Initiative. And Solemn is named after my parents. My father was Solomon, Hmm. my mother, Ida Mae. So it's S-O-L-I-M. Dedicated to your parents. And, and what is Solemn Leadership? Solemn Leadership is basically an initiative where I have a forum, a place for me not to teach leadership, but to collaborate with young people around their leadership skills. I only want to develop leadership. You, you don't teach it, you develop it. And that's what I'm working on. And I'm just trying to figure out a way to, you know, make sure we keep everything up and going. I'm sure we're going to be just fine. This program, anything I've touched, uh, which has to do with youth, has just simply been blessed. And that's the only way I can put it. 
uh, I really have always found a way. Uh, so I'm going to yes. find a way to make this happen too. I have my first test class, a uh, few young men from Sullivan County, but this is open to the world. We have an application and we're going to put it out um, on Instagram. It'll be on the internet and people are going to be able to apply. I'm going to take on about 10 or 12 at a time. And we're going to really go through a process that, and, and carve some leaders. You know, one of my favorite expressions came from, I believe it was Michelangelo who did David, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, they, and they were marveling over how he did the statue. And how did you, how did you do that? And he said, I, I just saw an angel trapped in the, in the marble and I set about to free it. And I right. never forgot that. I thought, you know what? That's what I'm doing here. I see wonderful spirits who are just trapped. Trapped in a, a racist system. Trapped in poverty. Trapped in food deserts. Trapped in prisons. And so these are the things that I'm now working. I need young leaders to address all of these social justice issues. And so that's what I'm working on now. Judge Finn, thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned to me before we began the recording, something about a poem that, that you've written. Oh. And I'm wondering if you would share that with us. It's one of the many, uh, but I'd be more than happy to share with you for Black History Month, um, a poem that's called Black girl. Thank you. Black girl, mother of all the world, please don't let your curl unfurl. You're the one. Gave life to everyone. Now they act like your work is done. Got you standing back against the wall. Feel like you got nobody. Nobody at all. But remember, Nubian, in the end, the universe is in your skin, indigo to cinnamon, right down to the bowels of the earth. The universe, it sings your worth. From Lake Victoria to the Caribbean waters, the song they sing is that you are their daughters. Brought us here from the motherland through the whips and chains in their hands. Lynched your sons and raped your daughters you stand now alone and still beside the waters. Face burned by the sun and shunned by the world. But black girl, please don't let your curl unfurl. Black girl, goddess of the sun, you gave life to everyone. Thank you so much. That is Judge Josephine Finn sharing her poem, There's, The Universe Sings, right? That's what you just shared with us, uh, some, of, some of the words of this powerful message. I want to thank you for that. You're somebody that is, in addition to being a judge, a lawyer, an educator, you're an activist, an advocate. You founded the Dream Tank that gives, as you say, a source of direction to youth, to at-risk youth. And that's something that you see as youth come before you on the bench. 
And I just wonder if there's anything you want to take us out with as we come to a conclusion with this conversation. There are so many more things we can talk about. And of course, I welcome you to come back and and join me for Trailer Talk. But anything you'd like to share at this moment? Well, what, the only thing I want to leave you with is just kind of the motto of the dream tank that if we don't capture the hearts and minds of our youth, someone else will. And that's something that I keep in my mind always. And so what I want to do now is um, get together with these young people and see if we can't build a better world. Thank you so much. I have been speaking with Josephine Victoria Finn, who is a fifth term judge in Monticello, New York in the Sullivan County Catskills, a lawyer, formerly a professor of community college at SUNY Sullivan in Sullivan County, New York. She's also the founder of Dream Tank, which is an initiative to support youth in Sullivan County to give a sense of direction to the youth and specifically to at-risk youth and also has a leadership program, which is open to everyone in the world, as you say, Judge Finn. That's and right. we began this conversation with something you said, and I quote you, it all starts at home. So I wanna thank you for that. It all starts at home and you were doing so much from your neighborhood in the Sullivan County Catskills that has an impact beyond. Thank you. Thank you so much, Judge Finn, for speaking with me. To find out more about The Dream Tank, please visit thedreamtankonline.com. The Dream Tank stands for Dynamic Realization Through Enrichment, Actualization, and Motivation. It was founded by Judge Josephine Victoria Finn. And the mission of The Dream Tank is empowering at-risk youth in Sullivan County, New York, the Dream Tank is described as an organization that provides opportunities for young people to learn, grow, and excel. It provides support and mentoring to guide youth in the right direction. Through their work, they empower at-risk youth to discover their purpose in life and make the most of their potential. Its goal is to help at-risk and disadvantaged youth find their purpose and avoid Judge Finn's courtroom, with the goal of minimizing the risk factors that lead to gangs, violence, crime, substance abuse, and teen pregnancy. Some examples of the programs they have provided are artist development, character education, retreats, hip-hop therapy, mentorship, music, civic engagement, and restorative justice. Judge Finn is also going to be offering the Solemn, S-O-L-I-M, the Solemn Leadership Initiative for Social Justice. It is open to everyone between the ages of 18 and 40. And if you're interested in Judge Finn's Solemn Leadership Initiative, please email that's solemn, S-O-L-I-M-L-I-S-J at gmail.com. And that's a leadership initiative coming up that's open, as she says, to the world. 
Thanks again, Judge Finn. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay, you have I'm a wonderful okay. day. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.